0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right. So my guest this week is Joe Demore, a mountain runner who's about as Colorado as they come. Joe is from Buena Vista, ran collegiately for the Buffaloes at CU Boulder lives in Carbondale and works on Aspen Snowmass's trail crew in the summer and grooms ski runs there in the winter. His lifestyle is definitely organized around spending as much time outside as humanly possible, something I'm sure a lot of us can appreciate. Joe's had a breakout year on the racing scene thus far, winning the vertical kilometer at the Skyrunning World Championships in Italy in August, which was his first time competing internationally, and he also recently represented the U.S. at the Trail World Championships in Thailand just a few weeks ago. So I thought he'd be the perfect person to have on to talk me through what's, in my mind, a side of competitive trail running that deserves a bit more attention in the U.S. That is distance mountain running. So anything from a marathon and below. But before we get into that chat, though, I do want to take a quick minute and encourage you all to check out our Blister membership. And all of the benefits it offers, including access to all of our flash reviews and deep dives, personalized gear recommendations to help you find the right pair of running shoes, discounts on a bunch of really sweet products we love, and a whole lot more. So check out our Blister membership via the link in the show notes. Also, if you've been enjoying the conversations I've been having on this show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. Little things like that go a long way in supporting the podcast. Okay, let's get right into my conversation with Joe Damore. All right, Joe, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to chat. I've uh, listened to quite a few of your episodes and yeah, man, you're doing a
0: great job with this podcast. It's awesome. I I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So I kind of said before we started recording that um, I feel like a lot of my guests on this show... Um, are ultra runners. And I think that term gets conflated with trail running quite a bit. And people assume that like, oh, you're a trail runner, you must run like 100 miles or something like that. And I think there's a really cool part of our sport that is the sub ultra category of trail running. And that's something that you've kind of like carved out a niche in yourself. Um, So I kind of wanted to have you on to to talk about that side of our sport, um, as well as kind of a bit about yourself, because you've had a hell of a year, man. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, I think that's cool. I I think really all aspects of running are cool, but yeah, sometimes the shorter distances maybe get overlooked a little bit. So,
0: yeah, appreciate the uh interest and So, I thought we could kind of maybe start our conversation by spending a little bit of time kind of getting a sense of your background. I know you're you're Colorado through and through.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I grew up in Buena Vista, Colorado. I'm one of those Annoying people that has a native sticker on the back of my truck, so <laughs> one of those obnoxious people. But yeah, I love Colorado, and um, at times I'm, you know, I guess yeah, overly protective of it maybe, and and yeah, love the state. Um, feel really grateful to have grown up here.
0: I'm kind of the same way. I grew up in San Francisco before the big tech boom, and I'm I still live here, and it's very much like a point of pride to stay here as as a local. So I, I get that.
1: Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So, how did you kind of get into trail running?
1: I mean, I guess going way back a bit, my parents met through running, uh, actually, in like a, a little local running group down in Durango, Colorado, back in the 70s. So, it's kind of a part of our family, I guess, family history. Um, my brother, my older brother, Seth, he is also a runner. And so, yeah, I think just following in his footsteps growing up, trying to chase after him, trying to keep up with him, uh, led me into into running more in kind of a traditional school sense with like cross country and track and field and whatnot. And then after after graduating college, wanting to get back into the sport, I knew that I didn't really want to go into, you know, more track or even the road running scene. And yeah, having grown up in the mountains, it was pretty natural for me to, to get into, uh, trail running.
0: What did your parents do? Cause I feel like trail running in the seventies, you know, wasn't, it's not what it is now. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, my mom was really into road marathons. Um, uh, actually she still runs a decent amount. Um, and my dad actually, he, he did all, all types of running. He did, like the Imogene pass run back in the day when there was 35 people, you know, now it caps out at like, I don't know, 1500 or something. And he was one of the earliest people to do like the rim to rim route. He did that back in the day with, um, with, uh, Jerry Roach who, you know, he wrote like a lot of the 14 er guidebooks and whatnot. So, so yeah, they were pretty immersed in the, in the trail and just general running scene and
0: they had a pretty legit crew. I think
1: that, you know, back in Durango, um, back in the day.
0: Yeah, just running with uh like maple syrup bottles in their hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, doing crazy stuff
1: like that, you know, doing the Imogene pass race in cotton t shirts and ending up in snow or like, you know, doing Pikes Peak marathons and stuff. So
0: Are you pretty interested in like the history of trail running in this country, specifically Colorado?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested in it. I wouldn't say um die hard in terms of, you know, the history or even like following the sport super closely. Um, But yeah, I I think it's super interesting. And yeah, I think I think it's a varied history with a lot of unique characters, which is pretty fun.
0: So you ran in high school and I know you had obviously some success because I believe you ran cross country at CU Boulder, which is like a very revered program. Um, How did you kind of end up in Boulder uh, running at, uh, at CU? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I kind of joke that running at CU is kind of like the first line of my running obituary. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, it's kind of like a highlight in, in a lot of ways. Um, it is also kind of funny because I, I mean, I didn't run well at CU um, by any means, but uh, uh, let's see, my older brother, he, he walked on to the team cross country and track at CU and then, uh, I may have mentioned he's like five years older than me. And so I was just following in his footsteps and he coached me throughout high school and, and yeah, had some decent success and had a couple different offers and options after high school and ultimately knew I wanted to, um, yeah, go to Boulder and, and be on the team with him and, and, uh, yeah, run with the Buffaloes. Was he on the team, uh, When you ran there too? He was, yeah. He was a super senior, so we only overlapped a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: What was that like, running with your brother?
1: It was cool, yeah. I mean, it was, um, I don't know. It was was almost a little surreal, I think, because I'd always been close to being on teams with him with our age difference. So to actually have it happen was pretty neat. And yeah, being in that environment, um, was definitely very helpful to have him to guide me a bit because it's, it's a pretty intense program, like a lot of D1 programs. So, yeah, it can be a little overwhelming,
0: can be tough. Yeah, I didn't do an amazing job with it, but um, having him there was was helpful for sure. When you say intense, like what do you mean? Because I, I feel like a lot of people like don't know the grind of of running collegiately, especially at like a top program. Like myself included, I think I didn't run in college at all. Uh, but I've always been like really fascinated by it. Like what is that lifestyle like? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of like having a full-time job on top of a full-time
1: job with like a side hustle of, you know, trying to have a social life and, um, trying to just enjoy being young in college. So yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it, in terms of the training, I think CU notoriously, you know, or historically has had a tough program, but a lot of programs are really tough. A lot of programs run high mileage, and and so I don't know. I think sometimes there's a little bit of a hype around around CU or this like kind of mysticism because of uh, Coach Wetmore and and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's you know seven days a week and 365 days a year essentially. Unless, you know, you're maybe in between seasons or, yeah, maybe, you know, taking, taking time off because of injuries or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a major commitment. But one of those experiences I look back on pretty fondly overall, even though I struggled and, and like I said, didn't have, didn't have a great running uh, career in college.
0: I like what you said about, like, the first line of your running obituary because it definitely is that. It's like I'm trying to find a, something like an analogy to make, but it's like, oh, he was a buff. like. That guy, that guy's a serious runner. If he ran at like CU Boulder,
1: yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and I think some of it is is rightfully deserved. Like in t- for most people, <laughs> I wouldn't put myself in that category because, like I said, I I didn't run great in college. But um, yeah, I think I think just getting on the team is is a big deal. And um, and overall, I mean, for me, it was you know a huge learning experience and. I'm grateful to still be in the sport after having gone through it. And I think I'm overall better for it. And and just in terms of like training and just, you know, knowing how to train well and how to build training blocks and how to piece together a season, when to peak, things like that. I mean, I basically got a, I would say, you know, like a master's degree in running, (laughs) having gone to that program.
0: Yeah, I feel like you deserve like a second diploma almost. And I think that's special because... I talked to a lot of people that uh, you know, don't really run anymore. And it's because they ran so hard at a college program that they just like, you know, never wanted to pick up a pair of running shoes again because they were so burnt out. So it's cool that you're both able to like really grind, but also kind of still cultivate that relationship with running.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm super, super lucky that I'm yeah, still interested in the sport and still want to pursue it. Um yeah, like you said, a lot of people don't and and that's too bad, I think there's there's a lot of good things about collegiate running, but I think, yeah, the burnout and yeah, maybe just overdoing it when you're too young is is kind of a real problem with the sport,
0: yeah, did you kind of explore any trail running uh while you were in college, or did that kind of i guess it you were kind of like raised with it, but when did you kind of start to transition more over to um i guess competitive trail running?
1: yeah, I think in college. I would run on the trails around Boulder and there's some really great trails of course, um, in the Boulder area, but overall our training was geared more towards, you know, just, just going like a little bit faster. So a lot of training on dirt roads, a lot of training, um, on the track, of course, things like that. So I think I was kind of always intrigued or always wanting to get back into the mountains more while in college, having grown up in Buena Vista and, and that was a bit of a struggle. And, and so yeah, I was always kind of fighting that urge. to so either like go on ski trips or, um, yeah, just get out and explore, get out to the desert, get up into the mountains. And, and then after college, I, I did take some time away from, from the sport. I, yeah, I pursued a lot of different things. I went to grad school, I got into climbing and, um, it really wasn't until, I mean, it was like three or four years really after college that I didn't race. And, um, the first race I did, I was dating a girl at the time, and I remember she kind of asked me, you know, like, like, do you want to do well, or like, what are you trying to do? And I'm like, well, like it's a race, like I'm gonna to try to do well, and you know, hopefully, you know, come in first or whatever. Like that's kind of the goal for me. I was still in that mindset of just like, you know, winning being super important. And I ended up winning that race, and it was just kind of a funny moment because she she didn't really know me from you know, from, I guess, my competitive running. And now I'm married to her. And so, it's just kind of a funny thing that we look back on getting back into running. And she really didn't know, I guess, what she was getting into in terms of in terms of running um, for me and how, it, how big a role it is in my life.
0: When was that? I'm just trying to kind of like, I don't want to date you or anything, but I'm trying to get a, a barometer of like what trail running was like, I guess. Because I, I feel like It's had such a a kind of, like, upswell in popularity over the last, like, decade or so. Um, And there definitely is a migration of really fast road runners uh, coming out of the scene to, like, (laughs) slower people like myself. Like, we, yeah, we're just getting smoked these
1: days. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Let's see. So, yeah, that first trail race back after college was in
0: 2014. So, it was about two years after I graduated from CU. Nice. And were you kind of hooked after your first race or like, how did you kind of wade your way into, to the sport?
1: No, I, I definitely wasn't like kind of rehooked, I guess, into, into racing at least. Um, if anything, I was just hooked back into being in the mountains and ultimately that's what it's all about for me still today. I love racing and I love pursuing, you know, things like FKTs, but yeah, it's all about spending time in the mountains. So however I can do that, I think in some ways I'd be happiest just, just doing that. But I have this competitive side to me that, um, it's overall pretty healthy, but I kind of have to scratch that competitive itch.
0: I definitely want to talk about FKTs a little bit later. Um, but I'm just curious, what did you go to grad school for?
1: I went, uh, to Colorado State up in Fort Collins for tourism management. Cool. What does that entail? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's a good question. It's basically a business degree focused around tourism. So yeah, kind of like an MBA type program, um, but focused on the tourism industry. And yeah, after after graduating from CU, I, I knew I wanted to go back to school. Um, but like I said, I took some time to try to figure out in what area and knowing that I wanted to be back in the mountains and the tourism industry is pretty big in Colorado. So I felt like it would be, um, a good way to, to yeah, work, work long-term in the mountains. And, um, yeah, so I've been in the ski industry for about 10 years now and, um, yeah, I guess maybe we'll get into that a little bit, but yeah, that's kind of my main passion, um, adjacent to running and skiing.
0: Yeah. So, I know I'm catching you at a bit of a transition time for work. uh, Because I know during the the summer months, I read that you're part of a trail crew. And when the snow starts to fall, yeah, you're out in a bobcat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Snowcat. Yeah. Snowcat. (laughs) I don't ski. So...
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No worries at all. Yeah. Yeah. I work year round up on Aspen Mountain in the trails department. So, in the summer, it's yeah, a lot of trail work. And I run heavy equipment, cut a lot of trees, a lot of chainsaw work. And then yeah, like you said, right now we're transitioning. We'll open um for skiing on Saturday. So it's kind of crunch time, a lot of a lot of stuff going on, just getting the ski area ready and um yeah, just in the cat right now every day.
0: What's kind of like a work week for you like uh in the summer versus in the winter? In the summer, I work
1: Monday through Thursday, do four tens and Um, in the winter, I also do four tens, but I work at night. (laughs) So I'll work, uh, graveyard shift, basically 11 PM to 9 AM. And how do you fit in your training? Yeah. I mean, in the summer, I guess year round, it's, you know, pretty much just weekends. I get 75, 80% of my mileage and training on the weekends, but in the winter, I mean, it's great. I, you know, I stay up grooming all night and then I'm able to ski, um, usually skinning, for you know one to three hours or so after a shift so it works out pretty well
0: just in the morning
1: yeah yeah usually in the morning and then you know go home about midday and maybe catch another run if if you know depending on the day and then try to
0: sleep i was gonna say like when do you sleep what's that schedule like are we catching you like in the middle of, of your, of your night?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, actually we're still working days right now, but um, it'll be another couple of weeks until I'm working fully just on nights. And yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, kind of joke that really we get paid to sleep because that's the toughest part of the job (laughs) being up on the mountain in the middle of the night. is pretty sweet. Uh, It's not, you know, not a hard, hard thing to do, but um, yeah, sleeping during the day is, is a major challenge. It's usually, you know, maybe like two PM until eight, nine, ten PM, hopefully.
0: <laughs> Man. I feel like you're just like primed to run a hundred miles now just because you've you've dealt with the sleep deprivation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've never run um anything quite that long, and a few people have mentioned that to me, and maybe that aspect I would do well with. So I don't know. Have to keep it in mind.
0: Yeah. I think in my opinion, like if you got speed right now, like milk that for as long as you can and run the longer stuff when you're old and slow. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, man. I think you're right. And I don't
1: know. We'll see. Hopefully I can, yeah, keep it together long enough to eventually do an ultra. Um, so, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I'm curious what your your training looks like uh, in the summer months, uh, just because I'm, again, like super familiar with what like 100 mile training looks like and, and the longer, slower stuff. But how much volume are you doing for like a VK or, um, some of these like shorter mountain running races?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I mean, I definitely prioritize consistency over doing big weeks in the last five years, I've probably gone over a hundred miles a week, maybe, maybe five times. I do a lot of training in the 80 to 95 miles a week kind of range with you know, but that, that is with quite a bit of vertical. So it is quite a bit of time. Peak uh, training would be like 15 to 25,000 or so feet of vertical every week. And yeah, I mix it up a lot though. It's like, you know, good to, to blend it in. I, I really believe in training blocks and building up slowly, not staying at your peak mileage too, too long. And and then, yeah, being okay with taking breaks, especially in between training blocks.
0: Yeah. And you said that like, most of those miles come in like three days. Are you just doing, how, like, how does, how does that work? Are you doubling? Or are you just doing kind of longer runs?
1: Yeah, I usually double at least twice on the weekend. So for a three-day weekend, like I'll double on Friday and then maybe double on Sunday. And then, yeah, Monday through Thursday, if I'm working, I'll get, you know, maybe 20 to 30 miles or so. Are you doing most
0: of your running in Aspen or Carbondale.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mostly around Carbondale, at least for my easy days, just running from home. Um, but yeah, running up in Aspen quite a bit and then yeah, getting up into the mountains surrounding, surrounding Carbondale and Aspen as much as possible. Anything in the elk range. And then, I get over to the Swatch range around Leadville, Buena Vista, Salida quite a bit as well. That's my home range where I grew up running. So, yeah, still love getting over there. And then, yeah, anything up high, I love getting above tree line as much as possible. And luckily in Colorado, you know, we've got a lot of that.
0: I feel like you guys also had a pretty like mellow year as it relates to fires, right? 100%.
1: Yeah, I, I've had that conversation with people a few times because... Yeah, it's, it's really impacted us the last couple of years and, and throughout my life, it has at different times. So yeah, we we were lucky this year and, you know, hopefully we can continue this trend. I don't know if it's really a trend. Hopefully we can make it a trend, I guess. Cause yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough having basically a smoke season it definitely impacts the running. And, and then for me, like working outdoors, doing sometimes hard labor, like it's, yeah, it's tough.
0: Yeah. So when you're working on the trail cruise in the summer, what kind of stuff are you doing to, uh, like, I guess prep the forest for fires? Yeah, we cut a lot of
1: standing dead. Um, try to take care of the tree islands within the ski area, you know, as best that we can keep them, keep them healthy. That's really our main priority is just forest health. Right now we're doing a terrain expansion on the ski area. We're adding almost 150 acres to the ski area. And we're, you know, doing the same thing, just trying to be selective with what trees we're cutting, trying to weave as many of the healthy, strong trees as we can. And yeah, we want to create a really diverse forest that's, that's healthy and durable and, and hopefully going to withstand, you know, the inevitable, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of one of those things in Colorado. It's just a matter of time really until until really most of the, most of the forest will probably burn.
0: Yeah. I think in, in California, we had a pretty, pretty mild year as it relates to smoke too. And I think, I think it is more like dodging a bullet than, than a pattern, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think so. I know. I don't want to sound too dark or whatever. I guess just, you know, maybe like you growing up around it, it's, you know, we don't really have hurricanes or
0: earthquakes and things like that in Colorado, but wildfires are, are definitely a real, a real threat. Yeah. So I mean, dude, like four tens working on trails—that sounds exhausting. Uh, how do you kind of like balance that with training? Like, do you think it ever? Do you think it like improves your training, or do you think it it can kind of take away from it at times? And like, do you, you know, ask for someone to fill in for you like the the week of a race so you can rest up a bit?
1: Right, right, yeah. I, I have a super supportive boss who's who's good with me you know, taking vacation times for races and things like that. So yeah, definitely in a good situation in terms of that. But um, in terms of helping or I guess maybe hindering the training, I think I think the main thing, it probably impacts my recovery. So that's a factor for sure. I think I can accumulate quite a bit of fatigue throughout a season or season after season. And so I have to be pretty careful of that. I think if I wasn't working, if I was just training full time, I would maybe be able to train a little bit harder, but the main thing is I'd be able to recover
0: more if that makes sense. Um, so no, totally. Do you have any kind of recovery hacks you like? Um, yeah, I
1: think I've, I mean, developed certain strategies, I guess I, I've kind of figured out how to time like hard efforts so that I can get more of them throughout, let's say a weekend. So just playing that kind of game of like when the doms, like when the, you know, muscle soreness is really going to set in and like being able to maybe sneak in like a second big run before it really sets in, um, it's kind of hard to explain. I think it's just like really being in tune with your body and really knowing what its limits are and kind of knowing how your body works. Um, I think, you know, simple things like hydration, (laughs) super key and, um, I think, Active recovery is uh, kind of what my job is often and I mean, it's not really a bad thing but um, yeah, guess just being aware of, you know, what that fatigue can and how that can build up I guess.
0: Yeah, I had this, this old ultra runner like once tell me he's like, you should work at a grocery store because you're on your feet all day and it just helps like strengthen your intrinsic muscles of your feet and like you know, it'll make you stronger. And I was like, I don't know, man, I sit behind a computer and like write all day. So <laughs> I don't, that's definitely not helping me.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like time on feet is a big deal for ultra runners for sure. So I, I could kind of see that. But yeah, I know. I mean, sitting at a desk like isn't easy by any means and like doing that kind of work. Cause like, You just kind of have to figure out what, you know, what works for you lifestyle wise and work wise, making it all all balance out. Uh, I'd yeah. say like for me, the main thing is time management. I feel like I'm always trying to, you know, eke out just a little bit more time. And, <laughs> and that's like kind of mentally um, kind of something that I've tried to wrestle with a bit.
0: I think one thing I, I kind of identified with was like getting a really good grasp on your body and how it works. I think talking to, you know, um, the best athletes in our sport, they all seem to like, n- like know their body so intimately. And I don't know if that's like a skill you develop or something you're kind of just born with. I I know.
1: And sometimes I feel like I'm like hyper aware of it and it can almost be maybe detrimental, but overall it's a great skill set. You just have to really know yourself and, and be in tune with yourself. It's not, yeah, not always the easiest. And I think sometimes people, you know, focus too much on some of the measurables like pace and time with their watch or whatever it is instead of just, you know, really just being in
0: tune and going by feel. Right. And you can be in tune with yourself and not listen to yourself, which is another thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's easy to trick ourselves into being like, oh yeah, no, another five, 10 miles this week won't won't hurt me or um, yeah, being able to trust yourself and and trust that, you know, you don't have to overtrain or, or undertrain or whatever it is, whatever's going on.
0: Is your brother still coaching you? He, I would say unofficially.
1: I mean, I think <laughs> me being the younger brother, like he, I'm always going to look up to him as the older brother, the mentor, he's kind of still my coach. Um, yeah. If I ever need anything, need any advice or any workouts written or anything like that, he's who I'll go to. And so, yeah, he's, he's a great resource for me.
0: Yeah, he's also a super accomplished runner. Um, can you tell us a little bit about maybe, yeah, his list of accolades or his his kind of story? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, he's an amazing runner. He uh, has been running since he kind of started earlier than me, I think, and um, was, you know, pretty solid growing up, middle school, high school, but nothing crazy and was able to walk on to the team at the University of Colorado, which it's super impressive. Like we've kind of already touched on a little bit and then, yeah, he's had success of late on the roads, on the trails. He won two back-to-back, um, Pikes Peak marathons before kind of being injured this year. So he wasn't able to defend his title this year, unfortunately. Um, he's been a part of the world mountain running team in 2019. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, and if you know his history a bit with, with injuries and things it's kind of a miracle he's still he's still running it's it's really impressive
0: yeah he also has a phenomenal youtube channel uh that i i watch frequently for his thoughts on shoes as a reviewer
1: yeah sweet yeah yeah cool yeah you guys probably have a lot to chat about
0: yeah we'll, we'll plug his channel in the in the show notes for this because he does some really good work
1: yeah cool cool yeah i appreciate that yeah he's an awesome older brother he's my best friend like i said he's he's a mentor at times. He's a coach at times. And yeah, I, I always say, I mean, any success that I had, especially in high school or, um, you know, the kind of those early years was, was because of him, because I had a good coach.
0: Why don't we switch gears a little bit and kind of recap your, uh, year of racing? Cause I feel like this was definitely, definitely a breakout year, man. Like you did some really cool stuff. Like you traveled internationally and raced for, I think like the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, uh, kind of a good, good timing. Cause that's also what I'm doing right now is kind of in between seasons kind of gearing up for the schema racing season. So right now I'm doing quite a bit of reflecting on, on the season.
0: All right, let's, let's hop into it. Where did your kind of year begin?
1: Let's see the year. So like I said, I've been, um, getting into schema racing and so yeah, early, springtime and winter that's where I was doing most of my training and racing and then um yeah started trail running uh, beginning of the summer and I I think the main thing that keeps coming up to me about this season and what maybe sets it apart from other seasons is there was there were quite a few there were some really high highs and a few major lows <laughs> and Uh, most of my seasons, I think I've had just a lot more consistency. So that's, that's been something I'm trying to kind of wrestle with and, and figure out, you know, what, what was different about this season that made for those high highs. And like
0: I said, a few lows. Can we get into maybe a few of the lows and a few of the highs? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess yeah. I'll start with uh, one of the lows was at the U.S. mountain running championships this past year uh, in Lake Boston, New York. I ended up collapsing like 200 meters from the finish line and my wife and a guy who was racing ended up carrying me off the course. Um, and yeah, i never had that happen before. It was it was definitely pretty surprising, pretty scary, to be honest. Um, it kind of felt bad too. I think I freaked out my wife, which is fair. Um, but she's a nurse, so she knew what to do, I guess, how to, how to handle the situation. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, that was
0: kind of the, that's a low.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a low. Yeah, for sure. It was, um, it was one of those things that was probably due to heat, you know, high humidity that day and having lived in Colorado my entire life, the heat and humidity is kind of my kryptonite. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. So I ended up in the back of an ambulance and I still don't have full memory of like an hour or two from that day and, um, maybe never will, but, uh, yeah, so that was a major low. And, and then, about nine weeks later, I ended up winning the vertical race at the Skyrunning World Championships in Italy. So it was like, yeah, like I said, just kind of one of the seasons that,
0: um, I don't know, some lows and some highs and <laughs> yeah. Totally. What was it like kind of getting back into running after having that happen to you? It, so I tried to bounce back pretty quick because the
1: following weekend was the moon mountain race. And I really wanted to race that it was the vertical mountain championships for the U S this year, unfortunately, like 72 hours after Whiteface, I still was just feeling pretty terrible and, um, wasn't able to make it to loon. So ended up kind of just pivoting and, and taking a little bit of time off right then. And then, so it was probably about a week after after white that I was able to jump back into training. And, um, I mean, you know, I, kind of quick background. Like I've, like I said, never had that happen. And I've also like really never had a running injury. I tore a planter, one of my planter fast shows in a race in college. Um, but besides that, I mean, I just like, you know, I haven't had, I haven't had anything like that happen. So it was definitely, um, a wake up call and I had to go back to the drawing board um and on everything really i just kind of was in the mode of like i need to reassess nutrition and just just everything that was going on so in some ways i guess maybe it was a good a good thing but hard in the moment for sure
0: yeah i mean it sounds like very much circumstantial and you you learn from it uh which is i think the most important piece um i also tore my planter like 2 years ago and man, that one is tough to come back from. Like I'm still kind of dealing with it.
1: Oh man, how uh, how did you tear it? Were you actually running or was
0: it? I was running, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know, probably not stretching enough and, and running all my runs that I should be, you know, kind of taking it easy on a little faster and doing like a ton of vert and then yeah, running downhill on a section of concrete near my house. Just heard it go and spin. Dude, I got like an MRI, all that all that fun stuff, but I think we're rounding a corner.
1: Oh man, dude, I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but glad you're yeah, glad you're on the mend. I mean, it's yeah, it's brutal. It's it's a weird sensation when it happens. I can kind of still feel mine and it was over 10 years, like 10, 12 years ago, but I can still kind of like feel that moment a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's just like a hard lig- ligament to tear, apparently. But when you do, it sucks. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No,
1: I mean if you ever need any tips or anything on I'm constantly like since that happened, like I have a lacrosse ball in my house that's just yeah, I'm constantly just rolling my feet out or like doing the ice frozen uh like the frozen water bottle and
0: Yeah. It's almost like you're just like in remission from it. It like it never goes away. You're just kinda <laughs> kinda fending it back. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess for a little bit of context, I kinda wanted to ask you about uh what the like sub ultra world of races like looks like what's that kind of landscape like what are some of the more prestigious races in the us is there kind of like a circuit that all the top runners follow um because i think you know the ultra distance races it's like oh yeah like utmb western states hard rock etc uh is that kind of like replicated at all on like the sub ultra scene um, you know, that's, that's a good question. I think, you know, UTMB is
1: kind of centralized a lot of things in the last couple of years and, and kind of pulling, they're pulling a lot of races under their umbrella. Um, I think for a long time, sub ultra ultra running was just these like, you know, totally individual, just kind of <laughs> unique races. Um, and I mean, know I mean, that, that landscape, I guess is changing a little bit. I think, I think, you know, for, for the U S like there's, you know, some series, but there's not a ton of like, I guess, race to race type of series. The Cirque series comes to mind, the Solomon golden trail series. Um, they do national series and they also have a global kind of world series as well. That's definitely a, a big one. And then there's also kind of mountain specific racing with like USATF. And that's kind of been something I've been chasing for the last couple years. I think, you know, Colorado has got a ton of really strong trail runners. And then, you know, there's just pockets around the whole country and they all kind of have their own little, you know, kind of culture and, and super competitive races in the Northeast and out West where you are, um, really all over.
0: What are kind of the distances that I guess attract you the most? Like what's your sweet spot?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would say for trail racing, you know, maybe like the 15 to 25 K kind of races. I, I don't mind going up longer into like the marathon range as well for, for trail racing, but yeah, I mean, I get most excited about the short, just real, (laughs) real tough kind of vertical, vertically oriented races like VKs and and, you know, 10K to 15K kind of trail races with a ton of vert.
0: I want to talk about VKs because I like, I've done one of them and just coughed up a lung at the end. And I was like, I'm never doing this again. Like <laughs> you did it right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just tasting pennies the whole way up.
1: Which, uh, which one?
0: <laughs> it was the broken arrow one. Oh, sweet. So yeah, that's, I mean, I haven't done that one. And I think it's from
1: what I've heard, it's yeah, it's the real deal.
0: Yeah, I, I don't want to criticize them too much, but there was like a flat section in the middle of it, which I was a little stumped by uh, this past year. But, you know, it's just it's tough to find, you know, a course like that uh, in the U.S., uh, especially like out west, I guess. I guess there's no problem finding that in, in Colorado, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think like the term VK, I guess, has pretty specific definitions uh, to to qualify for that. But I guess I should say like i'm interested in more like vertical like racing so in not, not necessarily in the you right know, three thousand feet of vertical and two and a half miles or less kind of thing
0: yeah i guess i'm more just curious like what your mindset is for a race that is just like a vert race essentially like a vk or, or you know uh the the sky running race you did uh at the world champs um in italy this year
1: yeah so For something like a VK or like a race that's that I know is going to be, let's say, 30 minutes to an hour. And it's basically just, yeah, getting into the pain cave early and just trying to hold on. I think whoever is most comfortable with that, you know, usually usually does the best that day.
0: Yeah, I am like I want to I'm going to press you on this because I'm so curious, like, where does your mind go when you're just like, you know, in the middle of so much hurt? Like, what do you think about like, because I, I can't imagine there's like too much strategy involved with like, oh, I got to make my move now. It's just like, you know, death metal. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's really much strategy at all in something like a VK. I think <laughs> the ability to almost like turn your brain off or just have some mantras or just have that, that uh, mentality where you don't have to overthink it
0: is, is pretty helpful. Cause you also like are not taking in any fuel while you're doing that. I imagine.
1: Yeah. So yeah, there's no fueling, which obviously is like a big, big aspect of ultra running or longer trail races. And yeah, it's just getting into that, getting into that zone where I, you know, I kind of call it like redlining. So if you think about like, you're driving a vehicle and like, you're just, you know, pedal to the metal, like redlining your vehicle, like how long can that engine really last and a vk kind of pushes that and kind of tests that limits as well. So you need to you need to toe that line because if you go over it too early, you know, you probably be in like a world of pain and maybe not finish or maybe not do as well. But obviously if you're not close to that red line, then you know, you might not <laughs> you might not do as well either. So it's just finding that kind of finding that sweet spot and trying to hold on
0: Take me through your race, uh, in Italy at the sky world champs.
1: Yeah. The sky running champs were really cool. It was in a neat part of Italy. That race was at the, uh, San Domenico ski area. So pretty close to the Italy Swiss border. And yeah, I mean, it, it started out pretty steep and <laughs> was steep throughout. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool race. A lot of strong runners.
0: Did you like kind of racing internationally?
1: Yeah, I really liked it. It was a really cool environment, just the whole feel. It was awesome having, you know, just tons of fans out lining the course. I feel like that just gave a ton of extra motivation. And, um, yeah, I mean, there was, like I said, just a lot of really strong runners in the field and was happy to, to mix it up with them and,
0: and come away with the win for that race. What else did you get it up to, uh, while you were in Italy?
1: My wife was able to, to be there as well. So that was super fun. We got to travel around, eat a ton of good food. We ended up going over to Zermatt, Switzerland and hiking into a hut. that was super fun. And yeah, it was great. I've been to Europe before, but uh, yeah, it was my first time racing over there. And it was kind of in some ways a long time coming just over the last couple of years, things have kind of gotten delayed with getting over there because of COVID. So um, yeah, I was stoked to be over there and ended up doing three different races, did two the sky running, uh, weekend. And then before that, the weekend before I did another VK over, um, kind of in the Southern Dolmites area.
0: I think using this sport as a means to like travel is like the way to go. Cause like <laughs> all of the hotbeds for trail running are just like amazing places to go anyway, you know? So it's like, you might as well like sign up for a race.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. I think it gives a little different purpose to travel and, you know, it's great to just go to Europe or go to wherever in the world and just hang out and have fun. But yeah, it kind of gives a different feel. And, and I I really felt like I got to know the culture a little bit more. I was just interacting with people in a, in a different way. And the, all the races over there is like the post-race meals were super good and super fun with everyone. And just overall the culture of, of the racing was great.
0: Did you kind of pick up anything, uh, from the Europeans like technique wise or anything like that?
1: Um, I don't know about technique wise. I think, like I said, kind of said, just the overall culture is super cool. And, and just the communities that I got to experience. I mean, that's kind of what I picked up on the most. I think, you know, they've got a lot of really strong runners. So of course, you know, being able to I guess observe that a little bit in person. Um yeah, that is it's cool. A lot of really cool mountains.
0: How's your descending?
1: Um, my descending on on techie stuff is pretty good. I think overall I am probably stronger on ascending. I don't love admitting that. <laughs> but um yeah, I think my descending is decent. Um yeah it's it's always something I guess to work on.
0: Yeah. I guess just cause like that's what the Europeans are are known for. And I think like, I just don't know how you guys do it. It's like so terrifying. <laughs> I guess, although I will say, I, I think if I skied, my descending would probably be better. Do you think skiing helps at all? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I've thought about that a few different times, especially
1: if you're skiing on those tiny little Schemo skis because <laughs> the descending is is kind of terrifying. But yeah, no, skiing definitely definitely helps and, and also i think physiologically like just the development of you know different muscles through skiing
0: can really help totally so aside from from uh going to europe you you also just got back from uh thailand right yeah exactly yeah yeah so
1: the you know that the race the us mountain champs in in whiteface new york uh, where i collapsed i ended up not qualifying um for, for the world mountain running championships. So I ended up getting selected to the 40 kilometer team, uh, later on. Um, and so, yeah, I was able to still make the team and and get over to Thailand and, um, yeah, overall it was an amazing experience getting over there. Thailand was super cool and all the people on the team were, were awesome. It was great to connect with. And kind of reconnect with some college teammates and people I've known since high school so yeah overall it was a good experience.
0: Was there any possibility that you would run the like the uphill downhill races over there? So
1: unfortunately not the uphill downhill I, I was hoping to get selected for the vertical team Um the U.S. only uh, had three people running that race this year, unfortunately for me (laughs) in some ways. So, uh, I was selected for the 40 K team and, and while I don't think that's like outside my wheelhouse, I think going in, I knew it was going to be hot. I knew it was going to be humid and, and it was, (laughs) so the heat training that I did over the last, you know, five, six weeks, kind of leading into it, the just mental preparation and everything. Um, I think it helped. I mean, I made it to the finish line, but yeah, it didn't have, uh, didn't have
0: the best day. Is that kind of the longest distance you've raced?
1: Uh, no, I have done some trail marathons, so I've done longer distances. Um, but in that, like in the temps and the humidity and stuff, it was definitely the, the longest race I've done. So
0: any kind of like travel highlights from Thailand? I've never been over there before.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, my first time going to Thailand and um, the people were amazing. Um, Chiang Mai, where the world championships took place, there's a ton of temples, I ended up doing a temple tour with an, a monk and that was a major highlight, just getting to experience um, the culture that they have and, and the food <laughs> for sure. It was amazing. So those were probably some of the best highlights.
0: Yeah, I gotta get over there. Like, I I love Thai food, and San Francisco has some great options. But you know, there's nothing quite like having it from the source.
1: Yeah, no, right. Yeah, you probably. I mean, San Francisco has amazing food, and I think probably the biggest difference is you can you know get Thai food in Thailand for like you know a dollar or two, and just, right. yeah, some of the best Thai food ever.
0: Yeah, it's quite expensive over here. <laughs> so I mean, you said that you kind of have this like competitive edge, right? And it sounds like you kind of carry that with you outside of races. Because I know you're you're pretty accomplished on, in the FKT world as well. Uh, when did that kind of crop up on your radar as, as a, something you wanted to pursue?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically in 2019, I just missed qualifying for the World Mountain Championships in Patagonia. I got 5th that year and top 4 go. My brother was 3rd. <laughs> so Oh close man. Yeah, yeah, I really wanted to make the team uh with him. That was that was our goal, but uh came up a little bit short. Um but yeah, so basically 2019 I think was when I really I could kind of feel myself getting back into the sport in a competitive way. I'd been running and training for years and pursuing different projects in the mountains um, with the 14ers and 100 highest peaks in Colorado, things like that. Nolan's 14. But yeah, 2019, racing a bunch. And then 2020, of course, everything changes the seasons basically canceled. Um, but I had this competitive, I kind of reawoken this competitive side of me. And I just really felt like I had I needed an outlet <laughs> for it. Um, and obviously that's when, you know, FKTs also kind of exploded as well. So um that was kind of I think where it started for me with FKTs. I guess going back a little bit further, you know, I had been running mountains for a long time and and honestly putting down some pretty fast times, but not really being super concerned with recording it or making it known. And and I was okay with that, but it was probably, honestly, I mean, it was probably a lot of ego too to be like, I know I have faster times than certain people on certain peaks. And so I want my name in the record book. And so, yeah, I guess probably just, yeah, probably just but, a
0: lot of ego. But I feel like, I don't know. I feel like you don't have like a huge ego, you know? Like you're pretty understated.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I, I try. I mean, I don't, yeah, definitely don't want to have like a big ego. So it's like something I'm always striving, striving with, but, um, yeah, striving towards or whatever, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think honestly too, in a less, um, self-deprecating way or whatever that just pushing the sport forward through FKTs I think is, is a cool thing and a good thing. And, um, knowing that I had faster times, like I said, on certain peaks and not putting that out there almost seemed like a disservice to, to the trail running community or to that side of the sport. If that, I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Totally. Yeah. I think it's cause it's like, <clears throat> if no one is listing their FKTs, then like it kind of devalues it. Right. Like that makes, that makes complete sense to me. I want you to come out here and and run our local hill and see what you what time you can put up on uh Mount Pius. because I think it it definitely like suits your your strengths. It's uh like I don't know if you've heard of it. But, oh, I've
1: definitely heard of it. Okay, and I know cool. it's yeah. legit. I know the man. I'd love to at least yeah. It, that's one of those you'd love to just crack you know the top ten because it's pretty stout for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like the goal is to break thirty minutes, and I think Walmsley. Walmsley a few years ago was in Tahoe training or something and like came down to the bay, didn't tell anyone. Uh, Someone showed him the route. He like did the route, went back down and then ripped it and just like obliterated everyone's time. So we're all a little salty about that down here as locals.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And honestly, kind of in that same vein, I kind of felt protective over certain peaks and certain mountains and, you know, in Colorado and wanted to yeah, put my time out there for, for that kind of same reason.
0: (laughs) It's, I think as you said, though, that like, that is good. That like competition drives the sport forward.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I I think FKTs in general are really pushing the sport forward more than probably more than racing or more than anything else. I think the longer FKTs, the shorter FKTs, it just is really this different realm of, yeah, of, of trail running and, and mountain running.
0: Yeah. There's a purity to it. And it's also like very accessible, which I think is, is, as you said, like really beneficial.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, some of the routes are, you know, it's just, yeah, they're amazing routes and beautiful places and super inspiring. And yeah. And even if you're, you know, not the fastest person or whatever, just going after it and being able to push yourself, I think is, is important.
0: Sweet. So before I get you out of here, I'm just curious, uh, what do you have coming up next? You're uh, transitioning into to skimo racing.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, just getting into ski season and uh, have a few mountain projects in terms of skiing that I'm working on. And then, um, yeah, I'll start start doing some skimo racing probably in January and and do that through the spring. And yeah, I'm really excited. I I'm I'm kind of a newbie really to to skimo racing, and I just find it super fun. It's yeah, it's wild racing on those little skis. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're just, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Some of the descents and stuff. And, um, I do a lot of just, you know, downhill skiing and ski touring as well, um, which I love for sure. Um, but there's something about just ripping fast downhills on those little skis.
0: That's <laughs> super fun. Well, it seems to make some pretty amazing trail runners. So, uh, I'm sure that'll help next year.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. I think having done a few seasons of, of primarily focusing on ski training and kind of giving running a break during the winter is, has been beneficial for me for sure.
0: Do you kind of hang up the running shoes completely?
1: I don't, (laughs) I, uh, uh, maybe I should, you know, I know a lot of the euros do and they own, they only ski. I don't know. Part of me just like worries about it a little bit. Yeah. Like they're going to run off without you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, it's um, maybe a little insecurity or something to just step away from running for, for too, too long. But um, yeah, maybe one of these years I'll try that. But yeah, I'll run throughout the winter, you know, maybe five to seven days a week, but pretty low mileage
0: throughout. So nothing too crazy. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks for, for chatting with me. This has been really fun. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Joe for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from everyone here at Blister, please take good care of yourself, keep moving forward, and we'll talk to you again next week.